Hey everyone, today's episode of the 1099 podcast is with Giant Bomb's brand new associate video producer, Jan Ochoa. Uh, it's pretty rare that Giant Bomb hires new people, uh, so I wanted to be able to talk to Jan, ask him about how he got here, his life, what he's into. We talked about the Phantom of the Opera, we talked about rap for a bit, Mythbusters, uh, what it's like going from that fan experience to actually being in the room and suddenly talking to the crew about Game of the Year and different stuff like that. So Jan's an awesome guy. Super happy that he got this job. So we had a really fun conversation all about his life and a lot of what his goals are with Giant Bomb in 2018 and beyond. Um, as always, if you enjoy the 1099 podcast, please consider going to iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. Leave a rating, leave a review. Uh, it's it, more than anything, it helps with visibility. It helps people find this show. It helps people who maybe enjoy video game podcasts but have no idea who I am or what the 1099 is actually see it and hopefully enjoy a lot of the episodes. Um, so yeah, I'd super appreciate that. Sharing on Twitter, all that stuff means the world. Uh, there's still a lot of great guests for the start of 2018. A lot of things coming up. There's going to be a podcast all about the most anticipated games of 2018. There's going to be more mailbag shows, as you could probably tell. Uh, there's some weeks that have two podcasts, like last week, there'll be more of those moving forward with my schedule permitting. Um, last thing before we get started, if there's anyone in particular you want to hear on this show, talk about their job, talk about the industry as a whole, talk about just about anything. Again, Phantom of the Opera comes up in the show, so it's, it's pretty wide ranging topics. Please let me know at Josiah Renauden on Twitter, or even email me at josiahrenauden at gmail.com. I always appreciate your input. I think it helps make this show better when the people who listen to it get to play a role in who's on here. Um, so if you tag them on Twitter, that'd be great. Otherwise, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to them on Twitter or email and we'll get everything set up. Again, lofty goals for this year. Uh, whoever is on your mind, even if it seems like there's no way they'd ever go on this tiny podcast, why not? See what'll happen. Let them know and we'll, we'll set something up. So uh, I'll be posting the schedule on Twitter for what's coming up in the near future. Um, otherwise, please enjoy this episode with the wonderful Jan Ochoa. Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the 1099 for the week of January 15th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the brand new associate video producer at Giant Bomb and the most flexible man in the games business, Jan Ochoa. <laughs> Jan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you doing a split the entire time you're doing this podcast? Is it like constant split while you're talking? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, saddled in between two chairs doing the Van Damme split right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll make this one short, I promise. Uh, before we really get into anything else, I, I think the reason I immediately approved of you at Giant Bomb is that uh -huh. you love both rap and show tunes, which means we're oh. essentially the same person. I, I saw that list of things that you're into, and I was like, oh my god, we... I saw Phantom of the Opera, and I'm like, I, yes. I'm in. I don't care what he says, I don't care what video games he likes, I <laughs> like this human. Uh, so can you please rank your top three Phantom of the Opera songs before we talk about anything related to video games? Oh, wow. Oh, cool. Um... Man, so I have to preface by saying my favorite version or iteration of Phantom of the Opera is um, the one that is on Netflix right now with uh, Ramin Karimloo as mm. the Phantom. Um, uh, I guess Phantom of the Opera, the titular song. Mm. Um, the Overture is counts as one of my top three. And then Wishing You Were Somewhere Here Again is my oh, third. Oh, these are great choices. These are uh, great choices. Yeah, I uh, when I tell people I love hip hop and show tunes, they automatically go like, oh, you must love Hamilton or you love In the Heights because it's rap and show tunes. <laughs> but 
kind of a classical guy at heart, so I, I love Phantom and play Miz and uh, Sweeney Todd, especially. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I Sweeney Todd is fantastic. I did a lot of theater in high school and we had the a vocal ensemble class and an advanced theater arts is what it was called. And it was like the nice. same period. And they were just basically separated by this boundary in between the classrooms. But we'd always open it up and just have everyone together. And we'd go on uh-huh. um, yearly trips just to like Pittsburgh theaters and Cleveland theaters and see you know Sweeney Todd. Um, we saw Fiddler on the Roof. Cats was interesting. It was a really bizarre Ooh. show. But yeah, you've got this appreciation for it over time. And I've been in yeah. shows. I've been Scrooge and all these different characters. And I saw it from creeping on your LinkedIn. <laughs> um, you were a musical theater teacher back in 2012. So yeah, actually, was that wow. something you had planned on doing for quite a while or really more of an opportunity that came up while you're searching for production work? So I definitely, hearing more about you now, I, I definitely think we are the same person because mm-hmm. in high school, I was also in an advanced theater class. Um, and I guess I had stayed really close with my group of theater friends from high school and that we wound up joining the dance company that I wound up eventually teaching at. And they wanted more strong male dudes to teach their mm-hmm. classes because it was very uh, female-dominated uh, teaching staff. And they wanted to show the little boys like, hey, you know, like you guys can do this, too. So they were like, Jan, just go teach these kids. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's how I wound up with a gig. Were you in a lot of plays beforehand? Did you get a chance to actually perform in high school and college? Yeah. So in high school, um, I think I had done 20 plus productions, um, various like plays and musicals. I think my favorite role I got the chance to be was I was Audrey two from little shop of horrors. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, it was fun just holding a microphone the whole time, never having to move. Um, I didn't have to memorize any lines cause I just had, you know, my book in front of me. Uh, theater kind of took a backseat when I got to college, kind of want to focus on uh, video and broadcast type of stuff, but it was definitely fun getting to teach little kids. So, you get to see your kids go up on stage and you kind of like living through them almost. Oh, totally. And yeah. I, again, not to keep making us sound like the same person. I had the same thing in terms <laughs> of high school was the time where theater meant the most to me, especially if you're one of those like nerdy kids who never really, you know, feels confident suddenly when you're on stage doing stuff and you're playing a character, it's an entirely different world. And I, yeah. I, I think it was the people I was around the time of my life, the the teachers that were there encouraging you when that when it was college, it changed because half the fun of theater and, and musical theater in general is those people like doing cool stuff with them, randomly making up lines, randomly making up scenes. And when I remember going to college and seeing that theater program, it was almost too serious and too professional compared to where I was at before where I'm like, I was yeah. having fun with this. And now oh, this yeah. almost feels like. These people are doing this profession. Yeah, 100%. And that was yeah. like the moment where I'm like, I think I'm going to focus more on my writing and more on, you know, being a quote unquote journalist rather than a theater person. Did you kind of have, did you have people in your life pushing you to do theater full time or at least do like a minor in college? Um, my high school theater teacher was always super supportive of pursuing that. And uh, along with my my boss when I was teaching musical theater, but they saw that my heart was more into doing the video and the broadcast stuff. So they, they encouraged it as a side hobby type activity rather than something I'm trying to actively pursue. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's funny. Like (laughs) I would assume, or we might be around the same age when you were in college, this is something Uh we talked about a little bit before we started recording. Um, I talked to Abby way back, who was hired by Giant Bomb earlier this year, and she wasn't really like this Giant Bomb fan beforehand. She had heard of them and learned more about them over the interview process and then really brought something new because she wasn't, you know, a quote unquote Giant Bomb fan. And you are a little bit of the opposite. You have been watching all their stuff, listening to their podcasts, watching their videos, probably since high school or college at this point. And they've kind of been a part of your life for this long stretch. So for you coming in as a fan, how has that been? How has it been to a certain extent, maybe getting your dream job? Yeah. So it's, it's been a very, very strange adjustment period. Um, I, I was saying to myself during the interview process, each step along the way that if, I didn't get the job that the fact that I got to talk to Jason on the phone or that I got to meet him in person or I got to meet Jeff and Brad in person and interview 
that was that was fine for me enough as a fan because I counted that as a victory because I was a fan for so long. Um, but getting to work there, yeah, you're totally right. This is the dream job. Um, it's going to sound a little weird, but I think you can kind of <laughs> relate and other fans can relate. But since I've been a fan of these people for so long, they've kind of almost molded who I am yeah. in a sense, at least some of my tastes. Um, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I totally blame Will Smith for my <laughs> <laughs> huge obsession with coffee. Now, I during the Whiskey Media days, uh, tested was one of my favorite sites. Still is, um, but I would devour every single coffee video and wind up eventually buying everything he wound up reviewing. I actually roasted my own beans on the side because of Will Smith. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. That's it's one of those things where I did like I watched all those videos, but never got fully into it. But I've always wanted to. It's a terrible hobby. I don't suggest <laughs> it. I, I can never sleep because I'm overly caffeinated. <laughs> no, yeah, I, it's the the shaping who you are. Like it almost it sounds like an exaggeration to a lot of people who are outside of that bubble, maybe. Right. But oh yeah, oh, when yeah. it's especially back in high school and college, I would be on Giant Bomb, refresh that site so many times during the day, watch every single quick look immediately when it came out, listen to those podcasts. Sometimes you'd like listen to a really good one a second time, be on YouTube looking up, highlight <laughs> videos. So yeah, you you really you really pour over that. And oh, yeah. I, I've, I I've, said this, I've said this before in the podcast where people would ask me, you know, hey, you're doing journalism, you have a communications degree you're going for, where do you want to work? And you would try to tell them like, what sounded like a sane person's version of, I want to work at this place where they play video games and talk about them and shoot arrows <laughs> in the hallway and are, you know, on roller coasters playing DS. You, you try to like put that into a sane person's way, but it was always this weird, man, Giant Bomb just seems like a bunch of fun. And I would, because we've both consumed a similar amount of this content, you know, all the references, you know, all of the, you know, the memes, if you will, that come yeah. from it. Has it been at all hard avoiding bringing any of those up or referencing them because of course the community has built up a lot of these moments in their heads but when you're in that position where you're now part of giant bomb you probably don't want to rehash that has that been on your mind of like all right i need to be jan and not be jan the giant bomb fan yeah that has that came up in the interview process i was thinking i i don't want to be that fan that comes off super aggressively saying like oh hey I've seen you do all these things. Remember this time or that video? <laughs> um, so I kind of just had to keep my cool. And when I got the job, I, I had to th not throw all that fandom out the window, but like assume a regular, that you know, I've, I've watched and listened to these guys for forever now, but they're also just normal people that mm. are now my coworkers. Um, so I've definitely had to control the urge to reference something when I come across it, like the first time I saw the couch from the old Sausalito <laughs> office, yeah. I, I wanted to scream and jump on it and like rub my face on it, which probably <laughs> isn't advised. You might get pink eye. <laughs> Who knows? Exactly. I might get like mega pink eye. Um, <laughs> but I, I just had to keep it down uh, and, and just be like a normal person that they uh, think they hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean did you talk to a lot of people maybe in your life before you actually got into that interview process because we mentioned before you, you were at this point where it's like hey if i just could talk to jason and kind of get close to this spot maybe that'll be good enough and i've had that mindset before when i was up for a game spot job and i was at like the second or third interview layer of it and i was like ah, mm -hmm. if i get this far maybe that's just good enough did you talk to a lot of people maybe about the way to handle an interview like this or because it's such a unique job, it's hard to really get advice. It's definitely more the latter that it is very hard to get pointers and tips from people about how to approach interviewing at, uh, you know, what is ostensibly your dream job. Um, a lot of my friends knew during the internet interview process that like I'd been a big fan. Um, a lot of my close friends were super psyched, but yeah, you couldn't really seek advice um, in the strange position that I was in. Yeah, no, I couldn't even imagine. Uh, yeah. You, you mentioned we kind of joke about being starstruck and talking to these people that you've really grown up with to a certain extent. Other than the couch, have you had since you've been there maybe the biggest 
holy shit, I can't believe this is happening moment. Any of these kind of times where maybe when you're working, sometimes you're not even thinking about it. You're just trying to make sure everything is going according to plan. There's no audio issues. Nothing's exploding. But have you had a chance to kind of take a step back and look at maybe a certain moment and be like, oh, wow, that just happened and I was a part of it? Definitely. I think uh, the first UPF, Mm. or it may have been, you know, it was the first UPF when the East Coast office was visiting for game of the year and we were playing gang beasts and just the moment of dan revealing himself <laughs> yeah. and that i was in the control room the whole time making sure everything was rolling along i just sat there thinking holy poop i am here <laughs> this is my job now um and that that actually always happens every time i'm in the podcast studio with the guys i have to remember that I'm not just listening to these guys anymore. I'm actually in the room where it happens mm. and the random times where I'd talk to myself or talk out loud to the podcast from listening to it before. I can actually interact with the guys now and I can help steer the conversation to places. And I have to keep remembering that I'm now an active participant in this podcast and these videos. Yeah, that had to be the most apparent during the game of the year podcast, because I know I felt like it was maybe in day four, or day five, suddenly you were more involved with those conversations, even if it was just, hey, what do you think of these last three we should cut? Or if you're going to go around the table, what single one is most important to you? Was that another moment where... I mean, a lot of people, they look forward to those Game of the Year podcasts all year. They help me. I just drove back from Pittsburgh to Jacksonville, which because of uh, traffic and there was an accident along the way, it took me 15 and a half hours. So a lot of that was listening. It was not good. But a lot of that was listening (laughs) to the Game of the Year shows and listening to all those discussions. Was that another moment where, like you mentioned, before you've kind of been the person maybe with your headphones in yelling at your phone being like no don't choose that game choose this game suddenly you can't do that because you're actually right there you you can say (laughs) these things out loud was that kind of crazy it was definitely crazy um i knew how intense that room felt because i've watched the videos i've listened to the podcast before but at the same time since i i was still relatively new i was i was thinking the whole time all right don't insult anyone or say (laughs) anything that could get you in trouble with these guys because half of these guys you just met and the other half you're going to continue to work with. So uh, let's not step on anyone's toes. But yeah, it, it was definitely something else getting to uh, contribute the little amount that I did to the Game of the Year podcast. Because I was just used to the guys just marching off into the podcast studio and then podcasting for days. And then seeing them later that day or the next day even. So getting thrust into the podcast studio was definitely something that uh, was was pretty awesome and, and that I wish I uh, came better prepared to say my piece, so to say. Well, it's one of those things that's much more difficult than you would even expect from a distance. I know from doing the way this podcast does game of the year is kind of similar where you have this big list and you're kind of whittling it down to 10 and then you order them. But uh, it's one of those exercises that while you're listening, you can make an argument in your head. You can think you're arguing that intelligently in your head. But when you're in that moment where you make this passionate plea for a game, someone can so easily shoot that down. And if you don't have a rebuttal to that, suddenly you're left with your initial argument that just got shot down. You're like, oh God, I have nothing I can really say else about this. And it's hard when it gets, you mentioned not getting personal, especially with these people you just recently started working with. And you get to this moment where uh, I think Alex Navarro talking about how personally effective Nier was to him. And at that moment, how do you come at, if you hate Nier, how do you talk to this person and say, like, I think Nier's the, the eighth best game when he's like, well, this is the second best game. It's There's a weird thing that from a distance, it seems easy to be like, here's why I like this game. But it's something also that if you've ever written a game review for a GameSpot or an IGN, you can say that all you want. But when you actually have to back it up, when you have to say not just the graphics are good, but why the graphics are good, or hey, the story is well-written, but then actually pinpoint certain aspects about why it's well-written. It's an entirely different game, and in that moment where you're also slightly starstruck, it has to be intense. The other part of that is is definitely that the top 10 list, or what Giant Bomb winds up 
announcing as their game of the year is the collective thought of game of the year. Because at the same time, you know, it I, I sided with Alex, but if not everyone is agreeing on something, you don't want to completely not take people's say into yeah. uh, what winds up being on the game of the year. I know a lot, uh, some people didn't necessarily agree with Dream Daddy being on game of the year from uh, yeah. the community, but it was something that everyone took into account what was the argument and what was said and how it had affected people that there was enough res- mutual respect in the room to all uh, add it because it is our collective list. Well, it's also, it, it's one of those things where, you know, people, people who I don't always appreciate talk about objective game reviews, and this is objectively better than right. that, which is not a real thing if you understand how reviews work. And you have these moments where this isn't some quality overall gameplay for gameplay, graphic for graphics. This is the the best 10 best games of the year. In those situations, it's very much, these are the games that meant the most to me. These are right. the moments that spoke the most to my situation. Um, and maybe it doesn't, this game, like a near has ps2 aspects to it where there's just still invisible walls in this game and a lot of this game is really ugly and there's also moments i'm on playthrough route b right now so i'm not as far as i would like to be Uh in near but there's these moments where it's like is you're arguing is the repetitive nature of a second and third playthrough with new things sprinkled in but maybe not till later is that part of the narrative is it part of what the near message is or as a gameplay object is that too annoying to overcome so when you get to those spots and suddenly you're arguing that that's the nitty-gritty stuff that it's the reason why those podcasts are so popular but the reason that as someone who's done that on a smaller scale with this podcast it's so much easier said than done it is so hard to explain why you like something why something is bad it's uh i've been listening to a lot of um star wars uh episode eight hot takes because i really enjoyed that movie but i think half the fun of that yeah half the fun of that is either understanding and listening to why people disliked it or listening to other takes from people who like it where you gain a lot from it and that's been fun in terms of like I've had a lot of things confirmed for me in my head of like, oh, that is why I like that. And then a lot of times where I've heard people complain about stuff and I have to, in my head, think of why I disagree, which I'm guessing you've probably listened to a few Star Wars podcasts or read a few things after you watch it too. (laughs) Definitely. The other surprising thing about being in that room is seeing who else comes in defense of something Mm. um, that has kind of remained quiet or hasn't been as vocal in defense or support of a game before. Like, I had no idea that Brad felt super strongly about Breath of the, Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Um, and that he needed it to be ahead of certain other games on this list. Um, and that, you know, related to the Star Wars thing, there's a couple surprising takes that I didn't think people would think that way, but I was happy about it. I am not a professional wrestling fan, but there is this professional <laughs> wrestling, like suddenly someone reveals their allegiances late in the game with a podcast that I enjoy where, and like, I, I love the idea of there's a certain like dig your heels in the dirt for things you care about where it becomes like, I'm not leaving this room if this game is higher than this game, or if this game doesn't make the list, like we're, we're going to stay here all day. There's almost a filibuster nature to it. That gets crazy uh, to get off the game of the year stuff for a second. I mean, you were brought in really to help with the quick look stream and overall video low that jason has but Mm -hmm. as you know and as everyone who enjoys giant bomb knows everyone at giant bomb eventually finds their way into podcasts into videos and into more front-facing activities was that something you were actually looking forward to even if your experience is mostly in hey i'm behind the camera i'm working the audio as someone who's done theater and been comfortable in front of people was that also a major factor in you wanting this job definitely um it, it was definitely a, a, a thing that I knew was going to be an option if I were to get the job. And it was something I look forward to because, you know, hey, my opinions may represent a different subset of people that they can relate to. Uh, I could be a voice that others relate to that they haven't had on the website. Um, I know when Austin Walker got hired, a lot of his uh, opinions and uh, ideas I really enjoyed and I liked that he was a part of the website that I had been a fan of for so long. It's one of my favorite things about Giant Bomb and it's something I thought about when you joined because maybe you didn't feel this way but I would assume uh-huh. someone with the history 
of knowing of Giant Bomb, there must have been some stress or pressure when you're coming in because you're essentially filling the Drew Scanlon spot, who is oh, yeah. <laughs> this person who's been a part of the site for the longest time. He's been a past guest on this podcast, and he's just this person who the community really appreciates. And I think the best thing about Giant Bomb is that when a new person gets there, you see how these new personalities blend in super specific ways with the rest of the crew. When you get an Abby or a Ben or even a Jason or a Dan a few years back, you get all these mm-hmm. different possibilities in your head of, I want this Vinny and Dan quick look, or I want this Abby and Brad. I know they're in like different offices, but you, you want right. these different combos and different situation. But knowing you essentially have Drew's spot now, did you have certain expectations for yourself coming in? Um, I almost thought that I'd primarily just be behind the camera and behind the mixer, that I'd be more of a support role rather than an active participant in videos or in podcasts. So that was my initial expectation. And then uh, being allowed, it's like, oh, no, you have a microphone in front of you, man. You can you can talk. Uh, it was kind of <laughs> it was kind of freeing because I thought like, OK, just I'll just be a fly on the wall. I won't say anything. I'll just I'll just watch these guys and watch these levels. Yeah. And then when Jason broke that down, it's like, no, 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 no. You can you're here, man. Like you're in the studio. You're a person was was definitely something um, freeing when I started the job. Yeah. How do you basically balance while these conversations are going on in any different form of the content? You, you probably have all these comments you want to say, things you think of that might add to the conversation how do you make sure you kind of temper that so that you're not jumping in when you shouldn't jump in and you're not being too quiet and suddenly disappear it's it's something that over time you'll of course as you get more comfortable with the situation and get comfortable knowing these people you'll find that perfect balance but right now is it something you think you're overthinking underthinking how do you know when to actually just get your voice out there there's this weird quote that stuck with me from college and I'm probably going to misquote it, but you know, it's <laughs> fine. Uh, I think it was Di- Diogenes that said we have two ears and one mouth. So, mm. and then I forget the rest of the quote, but I think, you know, the message is you should listen more than you actually speak. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be the type of person that just jumps in just because I want to jump in. I want to hear the conversation going on, reflect on it. And then, actually like say something intelligent or somewhat intelligent or pretend to be intelligent back uh, in this conversation. I'd, I'd say actively listening is probably the hardest, not hardest thing, but one of the things that I has been a challenge at the job because I have to remember I'm still in the same room with these dudes. Mm. I'm also making sure all the recordings are going and that the levels are fine, but yay. I have a microphone in front of my face and a camera pointed at me. I should yeah. talk. Yeah. It's a lot of juggling, I would assume. And like yeah. when you're juggling, sometimes it is hard to keep your train of thought for something you want to say. And that active listening is one of the most difficult things, especially with a podcast. When you're doing, let's say, an interview show, uh, <laughs> very often you're, you're writing out, okay, here's the different things I want to touch on. Here's the different questions I have. And I, you know, I've been interviewing people at my full-time job for, you know, three or four years and this for like two years. And one of the hardest things to break out of is you can go down your list of questions and that's great. And you might get an okay interview, but very often the best way to do it is what you just mentioned, the active listening where suddenly you say something where I'm like, Oh, I never thought of that. And suddenly we need to follow up with that instead of just being like, I need to ask you about quick looks. I need to ask you about podcasts. (laughs) I need to ask you about the interview and we'll have this very stilted question for question without anything connecting it together sort of interview. So yeah, I would assume that's one of the main things you had to think about. And another thing I would assume is exceptionally difficult to get used to. I do an audio podcast where no one sees my face. No one sees <laughs> that I just like, I don't look great today or I'm just disheveled. You in a lot of situations are going to be eventually on video. If you're on more on professional Fridays, or if you are doing, let's say a big live live show and you might have an entire segment, I'd assume at this point you're kind of used to hearing your own voice, but has it been a process kind of seeing yourself on camera and being comfortable with that? Because of the theater background, I, I think thankfully that I'm okay watching myself back or hearing myself back. Um, I did a lot of video. I mean, I studied video and broadcast radio stuff in college. So I'm not completely new to having to 
see my face. Like, it's not a gross out thing. Like, Oh God, like <laughs> look at me. It, it's more like, okay, cool. I should maybe use expressions on my face to show how I'm feeling rather than just having a resting <laughs> tired face. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's again, being like very active, not just with listening now, but also having to balance with, okay, I have to look like a human being on camera. Let's make sure that I'm not a robot. It's one of the weirder things, though, because I've gotten used to when I wrote at GameSpot, you know, Kevin Van Ord editing my writing. And you you take those edits, you you learn to not take them exceptionally personally, and you get better. Yeah. And same thing with this podcast where people will point out things and you're like, you know, you're totally right. Like, I'm not going to get angry at this person saying constructive criticism you take that you try to get better you remove the likes you try to adjust how you ask questions and you move forward but when someone directly says oh this person's facial expressions annoy me or this person has <laughs> a physical tick uh, yeah. i don't know if you've dealt with that yet but i would assume that's something directly about how you carry yourself as a person and suddenly you might go back and question have i always done this am i in social situations at a bar doing this weird thing have you had any of that the funniest thing that's come up is that there was one time on a bomb cast that I wore a hat instead of having my hair up like I normally do. And chat prior to the show made a big deal. It's like, oh, my God, Jan's not Jan's wearing a hat. What, what happened to his hair? What's going on? <laughs> so having to now be conscious of when I'm wearing a hat on camera or when my hair isn't done on camera is is a funny thing because you know, normal situations like, oh, okay, yeah, I just didn't want to do your hair today. That's fine. Um, go up, go ahead, put a hat on. But <laughs> now, because there's the added element of appearing on camera, it's like, oh, well, let's just make sure they're fine with me wearing a hat or that I'm not wearing a dumb hat or something. It's an entirely different world. And it's actually something I really want to know about because joining Giant Bomb often means going from 200 Twitter followers to 10,000 in a matter of moments. Suddenly oh, you. You, you go from just being this like, oh, I can kind of say what I want on Twitter or social media to kind of being under a microscope. And I don't want to dig too much <laughs> into that aspect too much because there were people uh, who dug through your old tweets in some kind of strange investigative fashion, which Twitter's been around for a while. It happens. You say stuff that years later, you're like, oh, I didn't mean that. That was a dumb way to put that or whatever. But you're not quite a public figure in the traditional celebrity sense, but What's it been like knowing that now at this point, even like a joke on Twitter, anything you say, this really significant, passionate audience is reading it and hearing it. You mentioned the hat thing where this thing that you would never think about, like, oh, I didn't do my hair today. I'm going to leave a hat on. People are suddenly talking about online. Is that scary? Is it fun? Is it I don't know yet? Where are you at with it? Uh, definitely riding the line between scary and cool. Um, I definitely feel a lot funnier now than I did originally. <laughs> um, but it's the scary part of people picking apart what I say or, or people um, picking apart what I don't say um, mm. also. That's that, huge. Yeah. Um, or if something goes wrong with a video or something is a little bit weird with a website and it's related to video, people automatically be like, hey, uh, what's going on, man? What's what's happening? Is this video isn't on Giant Bomber? It's not on YouTube. I need to watch this. Yeah. Um. It's like, ah, hey, I don't, I don't have the answers to everything, man. Uh. And and also, now I do have to watch what I say because I I am part of representing a company that I can't just complain about. Oh man, this bag of beef jerky is really bad. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a new microscope and it is really interesting what you said before about it's not just what you say it's it's what you don't say yeah. um when you're in an in industry in games media which is such a weird term and things are going on in games media people because you're in this spot because you're in this position and people care about what you have to say you know they they want you to comment on things and if you don't Definitely. say certain things you don't talk about certain issues you get blowback and sometimes that is warranted when you have these really bad things happening to certain groups, maybe in games media, you want those people to speak out to be like, Hey, this is wrong. But in general, it has to be 
a pressure you haven't really felt before. Like just to, you could have fun tweets about like, oh, we, we created a stand in Ben figure for UPF <laughs> and that gets like a thousand likes and you're like, this is a whole new world. Um, and that's yeah. the fun side of it, right? Where these jokes you have that might have gotten like two retweets before are getting hundreds. And like you said, you're like, man, I'm funnier than I ever thought. This is incredible. Look at me go. But there's also the stress behind that. Yeah, it's definitely a danger of I also don't want to inflate my own ego for my mm, yep. uh, real life friends and family because um, my friends and family like to joke around that I, I have a big head uh, physically <laughs> and, you know, metaphorically mm. that having this now upsurge of uh, random people following me is only increasing that uh, inf- inflated head size. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's also just choosing what I do contribute about like uh, issues and stuff uh, like the political goings on of the country and stuff yeah. with games media. I, I don't know the line yet of, is this okay to talk about? Because I still am, a person uh, rather than just spewing out jokes or funny pictures all the time. Yeah. It's, it's the, you know, everyone always has like, Oh, the opinions on this account don't represent my company. But when you have such a personality based tight group, you can say that, but it's going to reflect in a certain way. And we're now in such a, crazy era where it's it's hard not to just lash out every once in a while it's hard not to just suddenly like on a facebook post just be like shit's messed up like like this is like a lot of this stuff is super wrong and it bothers me and right. now yeah. yeah you're in this position where that could go in a lot of directions with people responding to that and i feel like giant bomb's been very good about you know i don't think jeff's gonna be like hey don't tweet that but it's been really good about like you know jeff will say stuff and Vinny and brad will say stuff and abby and ben and everyone will kind of just point out things like hey this isn't right or this is bothering me and it's i feel like it's been again this is something that probably over time you'll feel more comfortable with but you're in an environment where you're allowed to express these different opinions and these different thoughts about maybe really divisive topics. But if you care about it, you care about it. Totally. And at the same time, I don't want to misuse the platform that I suddenly have to like try and sway people to a very specific opinion or, or try and sell people on, on certain things. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, at the same time I have this following uh, and, and these people interested in what I say because of giant bomb. Um, yes, I am separate human being with my own interests and stuff. But at the same time, I don't want to tr- sell people. And it's like, Hey, like now that you guys are watching me, let's uh, watch this instead. <laughs> um, I don't want any like type of slimy stuff going on. Not that I would do anything like that, but I don't want to accidentally misuse the platform that I now have. And if you're going to misuse it, you should misuse it for like money. She'd be like, Hey, by the way, this certain beef jerky company, they're giving me money and you should try this beef jerky. If you're going to do this, you might as well go all the way in. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Get uh, beef jerky bean bags. Exactly. Like this is, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cut this part out because this is all the money making that we're going to do on the side. Uh, have you had a biggest surprise overall from working at giant bomb that maybe you would have never expected as just a fan before is there anything that suddenly while you're there you're like oh i this is crazy i would have never expected this so that is actually about my, my biggest surprise was definitely the size of the podcast studio the size of <laughs> the uh sit down studio and that you know I, I i should have known better because i've shot a bunch of shows but the space is super tiny compared to what you see on camera. Mm. And the other big surprise thing is that everyone is super duper tall. Uh, <laughs> well, Ben is definitely super duper tall. <laughs> but but at the same time, like Jason is, a, everyone compared to me, I'm only like five, seven. So everyone compared to me is a giant. Mm. Um, and I'm constantly craning my neck up like, yeah, cool. No, 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 that's, that's not what I think. Uh, and just in these conversations, having to crane my neck up and i i just think it's gonna present a interesting problem if we get to uh on location shoots where i'm holding the camera but the person that i'm filming is two feet taller than me giant bomb is an entire just crew of giants including abby little did people know she's six six she's very tall terrifying that was the biggest surprise yeah (laughs) not just the hair yeah she actually almost stepped on me you know when we first met it's like oh sorry i didn't see you down there 
uh, it's it's something that I never got to see. And then all these podcasts, I'm never going to see how tall people are. But yeah, I would assume. Like, I know Jeff is like also like six two or six three. So it's just yeah, the tallest, the the just pound for pound tallest people in games media. Uh, you mentioned maybe you should have known better in terms of the size of these different uh, these different environments that you're in because of your past production work. And you worked on with Mythbusters. You had yes. that job before you were here. Just curious, what series of events led you to be a cameraman for Mythbusters? Because there's usually a pretty clear <laughs> through line for games media people, as we talked about, where yeah, maybe yeah, both yeah. of us had this kind of theater aspect. But for me, it was always like, all right, I need to get either an, uh, an English or communication slash journalism degree. I need to start freelancing. I need to eventually get on Game Informer, IGN, or GameSpot. And then that'll right. be kind of the enough the experience to get a full-time job. But what's the story behind your production past? So it's a very sorted, strange cloud that I still am not completely sure how it happened, but it happened. Um, I wound up answering an ad looking for a PA, a production assistant, and it wound up being for Mythbusters. And uh, my boss at the time told me straight up on the first day, it's like, hey, this is a trial day. Depending on how you do, will depend whether or not we keep you. Mm. And it was probably the strangest series of events because not only am I being introduced to Jamie and Adam, but I'm also being introduced to where the show has been shot that I've been watching for years. But I now have to run all these random errands to make sure the show still goes on. And at the same time, depending on how I do today, will depend depend on whether or not I get to stay at this job. Yeah. So I wound up... God, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> my first day on the job was literally okay go get this box truck cleaned go pick up all this wood go pick up all this food and then as i'm driving back thinking like okay i'm good on time everything's cool the truck's still running it's clean i have all the wood <laughs> my boss calls me and says hey jan i i need you to go pick up 100 balloons and then i'm thinking oh cool just like a, a package of 100 balloons and then she goes no 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 they're all inflated they're waiting for you right now <laughs> Good thing you have the box truck. <laughs> so I come back to M5 with a bunch of lumber, a clean truck, and now 100 balloons on my first day. So eh, it was a lot of pressure. That sounds like an incredible setup for a joke. It, I wish it was, but that was definitely <laughs> my life for a while. But I eventually uh, fooled them into thinking that I knew what I was doing the whole time and conned my way into becoming a cameraman for the show years down the line after, after being a PA and kind of climbing my way up the ranks or, or being willing to do any and everything for the show. How long did you work there? Uh, I want to say if we're just talking the original Mythbuster series, maybe three years on and oh. off because we'd have uh, breaks in between seasons and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was definitely a fun process. I got to uh, learn and do a bunch of random things unrelated to cameras uh, during the process, I wound up becoming forklift certified because <laughs> they needed an extra person to that knew how to run the forklift. So I now have that uh, certificate on my fridge. I was about to say, is that like a license or a certificate that you could like hang up somewhere? That's incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had a graduation process. It was just a day long thing, eight hours. But we had a graduation process of getting forklifts certified where we march the forklifts to pump and circumstance one after another oh my god do you have any do you have like a list of the best behind the scenes mythbuster stories is there anything else that really stands out is like i can't believe i'm actually getting paid to do this that was probably like every single day on the job <laughs> um the the two stories that stand out the most and i don't know why they stand out the most but they're all related to the same myth, but we had a myth of alternative rocket fuels. One of the alternative rocket fuels being gummy bears. So one day they tell me, Jan, we need you to buy 50 pounds of gummy bears. Go. Um, Man, your calls in the morning must have been insane. Like, hey, can we get 100 <laughs> actually inflated balloons? Please give me gummy bear fuel. I need this. Like, there must have been every morning you'd be like, oh, God, what's it going to be? It was, it was definitely that. And as soon as I get to the store, there's this kid complaining to his mom. It's like, mom, mom, I want candy, blah, 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 blah. And then his mom is trying to teach him a lesson. Like, you know, son, when you get older, you're not going to want to buy candy. And then here I come barreling down the aisle, shoveling gummy bears into my cart, <laughs> defeating this woman's story and lesson to her child. Oh, you monster. 
And then related to the same story, one of the alternative rocket fuels was um, dog poop. Oh. So uh, they were like, the producers were like, Jan, um, it's going to be a shitty day, (laughs) but we're going to need you to pick up pounds and pounds of dog poop from this kennel. Um, And at the same time, they wanted to do like a behind the scenes feature on the people working on the show. And I actually don't think this went live or on, on TV anywhere. So I had to do multiple takes of picking up dog poop and saying the most cheesiest poop related jokes Mm. on camera while picking up dog poop. Um, So yeah, it was a, it was a fun time. Could you ever actually go back to a normal job at this point in your life? Because you've worked now at Mythbusters and Giant Bomb, which might be the two most bizarre, out-of-left-field career choices. Because I, I just, on a smaller scale, I work from home almost exclusively at this point. Uh-huh. And there's this part of me that if I ever have to go back to a regular job, it's terrifying. Of like, oh, God, I have to wake up earlier and take a shower and make sure the dog is out and then be gone for you know eight to ten hours and actually wear clothes all day and it's like all these things that people are used to and like i'm very fortunate that i can do just about everything from my own apartment is there this part of you that's like please don't let this ride end definitely i i don't think i could survive in a normal office environment Mm. um i rarely sit at my desk in the cbs office i'm i kind of like seclude myself to whichever studio we're shooting in because i just i just need to be active because i can't for the life of me sit in a chair at a desk answering emails all day it kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it yeah, trust me, it's it's not great. Like, it's it's one of those things that like I, I I again I can do it from the comfort of my own desk, but going I was in a cubicle for about a year and a half just doing that, and I'm like this is Ugh. not for me at all. Um, before I let you go, I, I promised myself I wouldn't ask you too many giant bomb old like basically references and ask for your opinion on them but when i did mention in a giant bomb group hey like I'm, I'm talking to jan what's your main thing other than people directly asking you about how you got your voice which might be uh, an impossible thing to actually answer um someone else asked if you could narrate their life which i mean again if you want to start selling out that might be the best way to do it uh oh, yeah the main thing i got about 30 times was a knife or bat. So, of course, you know the knife or bat thing on Giant Bomb. The Would you rather have the, I think it's a six-inch, is it non-serrated? I think non-serrated knife. Non-serrated, yeah. Or the bat. Which do you choose? Ah, man. Um, So, I was, I played Little League for, like, two weeks. I already love where this is going. Um, So, maybe not the bat. But (laughs) I was part, I, I used to be a prep cook in a kitchen um so i think i'm pretty handy with a knife so i think i'm going to say team knife okay wow now it's it's in the giant bomb bible yeah i'm gonna update update the wiki on you just to say (laughs) that your team knife the most important the rest of the stuff doesn't matter the most important part is that your team knife Uh, as soon as this goes out i'm gonna have i'm gonna lose half of my following now because i said team knife (laughs) It's going to be the main part of the actual title of this, just like episode whatever Jan on knife or bat. And that's going to be all people really care about. And I'll start some Reddit flame war. Uh, Jan, where can people find you on social media? And maybe most importantly, what's kind of your your goals for 2018 of Giant Bomb? Personally for you, what do you really want to do at the site? Wow. Uh, what I really want to do is just pump out more content. Um, I know that because Drew had left and that Jason was swamped, um, there hasn't been much stuff coming out of the West Coast office other than, you know, your normal quick look and Bombcast and UPF. But I, I do want to ramp up and help support the random ideas that pop up of like, hey, let's go look at all these peripheral based games or let's do a segment on fishing, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I want to be able to help be the manpower needed to support that. Because one of my favorite shows was definitely Ranking of Fighters. Um, And I'm all about trying to bring that science back. Uh, Yeah. And then, you know, if I get the chance to uh, captain my own show or own segment, I'm all for it. 
I would love that because again, like I mentioned <laughs> before, I, th- I think the strength of Giant Bomb is bringing in unique, interesting people and kind of letting them stretch their legs out to have the flight club where Drew's playing flight sims with Dave and Vinny and to have these other sort of styles of content like ranking of fighters where if Jason has his passion for it, let's do it. Uh, and I think the value of that too is I've gotten into, and I'm sure it's the same with you, gotten into a lot of things I might have not gotten into otherwise because these people who I appreciate and who I've spent all of this time virtually with they they're into it. It's never going to be professional wrestling, no matter how many times people try. I'm never going to like uh, professional just, wrestling. Just two matches, maybe, man. You, yeah, I, I, it's not I that don't. bad. Oh, that's that's the worst sell job I've ever heard. It's not that bad. It's not enough for me to start watching wrestling. But there's always you're been, a theater guy, man. You should I know, know this. But all theater. Like, it's it is. But see, I'm I'm like an MMA UFC type of guy. So like, okay, I'm not one of those like it's all fake. I don't want to deal with it. But I just like. Now that there's like real fighting out there, I'm like, I want to watch the stuff that is real fighting. Even if it's boring sometimes, I'm all into it. That would be (laughs) if someone could get me into professional wrestling, that would be maybe the biggest like personal update of my entire 2018. (laughs) Like suddenly I'm watching all these matches, but. Um, I'm just gonna start linking you and tweeting at you matches and uh, segments now. You know I what? Do it. You... That's let's. Okay, let, cool. I I will I will give it a try just for you. <laughs> just for you, I will at least try to go. I, I oh. used to like it. This is not supposed to be condescending. I promise. I used no, to no, like no. it when I was a kid. So yeah, yeah. maybe part of me, there's like a seed there. Like it's possible <laughs> it could sprout one day and I can be just this massive professional wrestling person. But again, that would be the biggest update of 2018 for me. Uh, Jan, congratulations on the job. I mean, again, thank you, sir. Both coming from similar backgrounds, I know how cool this must feel to be in your situation to earn that spot to be able to add your own flavor to what Giant Bomb does. Uh, again, I it's it's cool every time someone new comes in. I've always interested to see like how is this going to go, what new styles of content because. It's it's fun to have the giant bomb comfort food, but it's even more fun to see the new stuff and the new aspects of it and what new people bring. So can't wait to see what you do in 2018. Uh, and yeah, I'm super happy that we got the chance to actually sit down, talk and go over how it all happened. I am as well, man. I am super thankful that uh, you deemed me worthy enough to talk to. <laughs> uh, worthy enough. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. And hopefully you tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.